CFL is requesting federal aid. This topic made headlines in Canada during the first week of May. While I'll get into this in more detail, I want to just quickly read a few lines from an article that passed by my desk at home on Tuesday, May 5th. From the Winnipeg Sun, Paul Friesen writes, The Canadian Football League's request for a financial bailout from the federal government last week wasn't the most well-aimed pass we've ever seen. In circles apart from the ones occupied by football fans, it hit the turf with a resounding thud, far short of the intended target. By the way, Paul, nice intro. He goes on to describe how the CFL's requests for financial dollars don't seem to be as fulsome of answers as one might like when it comes to, for example, player salaries versus front office personnel, or how any financial assistance might be shared among the league's nine teams. This sets the stage for our discussion in this episode. The Canadian Football League, professional football in Canada, with teams some of whose origins in amateur rugby football date back to the 1800s, vying for a trophy donated by an English lord more than 100 years ago, and playing through a professional league whose formation in the 1950s ushered in the modern era featuring two cities with the same team names. Seasons have been affected by wars, teams have been hit by financial crises, seeing cities lose a team then reacquire one years later. The league even experimented with expansion into the United States, with teams active in seven cities and one or two teams still on the planning board at the end of the experiment. Perhaps not known to many, there's more to pro football in Canada than the CFL. The Toronto Northmen were a proposed team in the World Football League, a franchise that was forced to relocate to become the Memphis Southmen as a result of the federal government's Canadian Football Act prohibiting competition with the CFL. This team has a special meaning for me, as one of the well-known men on the roster was none other than Dick Thornton of the early 1970s Toronto Argonauts, and a man who was a good friend of mine during his final months of life. Then there was the Montreal machine of the World League of American Football in the 1990s. The early 2000s saw the Toronto Phantoms of the Arena League playing at Rogers Centre. So pro football has a long and deep history despite Canada being an overwhelmingly hockey country and generally featured by weather that at times can be challenging for football fans and players alike. Attracting and retaining players and personnel longer than a couple of years has always been an issue and certainly putting and keeping fans in the seats with a healthy roster of season ticket holders is one of the league's constant uphill battles. Little surprise that it has been an occasional pastime of writers on shows like The Simpsons and South Park to make friendly fun of the CFL's differences and quirks. All this, yet the league is still here, and in fact it enjoys television ratings that are admirable. Enter the year 2020. No challenge prior to this year has been so profound as the current impacts of the global pandemic of COVID-19. 
Social distancing and extreme crowd control measures have been characteristic of our lives since mid-March, and in some forms will likely remain with us for many, many months. This means no or very few in-stadium fans, and there is presently no time frame when or if that might change in this calendar year. So on top of the perennial issues I mentioned earlier, we now have a crisis that is effectively threatening to shutter the CFL's playing operations as we know them. The situation is so dire that the commissioner, Randy Ambrosi, met with the Standing Committee on Finance via video conference to discuss the massive revenue shortfalls and the request that the Feds financially assist the CFL to the tune of possibly $150 million. I reviewed the Finance Committee proceedings. Our wordsmith friend from the Winnipeg Sun is correct. It wasn't good. I've appeared before more than a hundred committee meetings federally and across the country, and that was after I spent many years working as a parliamentary aide. One needs to be prepared for tough questions, especially when asking for direct financial assistance at a time when so many are feeling deep financial pain. The commissioner presented the challenges and a plan but didn't come across as having been very well prepared to address questions such as player and personnel assistance. Of course, one of the big questions which still lingers among members of the committee pertains to ownership structure. While there is a small pocket of community ownership, the presence of larger corporate ownership by sports and entertainment conglomerates, ostensibly with very deep pockets, can leave a committee member with that, huh, conclusion the fact is, there is a stigma about government money and pro sports. The commissioner looked like he ran full on into a crowd of people who harbor that stigma, or who are at least highly sensitive to it. Public policy occupies that realm that is much bigger, certainly much bigger than will fit into this podcast. It requires explaining how the CFL contributes to the public good in ways that other pro leagues don't. How this brand of football is part of our fabric in ways that other brands haven't been. The keepers and designers of public policy need this narrative so they can share it with their colleagues and constituents for communication and for accountability. The public policy of the CFL has to look at the broader social and economic community within and around football. Former owners of teams, former prominent players, have all attested to the fact that Without financial assistance, the CFL simply may go bust. But what's at stake is not just nine football teams. It's the entire supporting and surrounding infrastructure. It's the entire community of everything touched by a game, restaurants and pubs, transit and parking, ad revenue and sponsorship opportunities, merchandise and broadcast personnel, stadium employees, and of course, the families of fans who attend the games. The CFL is not like any other pro league. It is seldom, if ever, buffeted by that elusive target called profit. But to have persisted in our community since the 1800s suggests that its roots are stronger than could ever be measured in mere dollars and cents. How Canadian. The league needs to show absolute transparency in its requests for money and and its reporting back after the fact in how that money was actually spent. The commissioner deserves credit. His challenges are unprecedented. 
He doesn't know if they'll be allowed to play this season or if they'll have a reduced season. He doesn't know if stadiums will allow any fans and how players in a contact sport can remain protected from a virus that likes close contact. And make no mistake, appearing before any parliamentary committee with quasi-judicial powers for anyone can be a little unnerving. The good news is that the conversation continues. With the continued conversation will be further debate about the value of the CFL in Canada and about what it really means and actually is to Canadians. But like so many other things about Canada, it might be a little hard to define. Sometimes it just is. Visit stephenchristiansen.ca for more episodes. This podcast is available on premium streaming platforms, including Anchor, TuneIn, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. I'm Stephen Christensen. Thanks for listening. Thank you.